Dissonance Media and the Other Stories presents Step into the abyss of After the Gloaming, a gothic fiction podcast that delves into the depths of human emotion, unyielding love, revenge, internal struggles, and restless souls await you in nine haunting episodes where dread, fear, and rare glimpses of eerie happiness linger. Dare to listen on your favourite podcatcher? After the gloaming beckons, search now, but beware, innocence will be left behind. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You opened your eyes, and the morning sunlight burned like bleach. It seemed only moments ago you were at your desk, listening to the last of the audio files. But now you weren't in your computer chair. You weren't even in your house, but instead sat on the doorstep outside, by the bins. Exposed arms, pale and cold, no shoes, wet socks, head leaning against the letterbox. Something like dried wax or pus on your shirt. Everything ached and as you climbed up to a standing position you struggled not to erupt into a coughing fit. You wondered what was happening to your body. Why it felt like you'd been smushed through a meat grinder and pieced back together like a wet jigsaw puzzle. Was it a warning? Or maybe a process? Something was happening either to you or the world around you. Morning! A voice called out. Somebody you didn't recognise walked by. You waved, but even that hurt. You turned, went back inside and drank tepid water straight from the tap. Washed your face, 
changed your shirt and then made your way back up the stairs and you did what you did after you listened to the first file. The first thing you did when any other question presented itself to you. You googled it. The factory, the toys, Chansey, the Klein Bros. You googled it all. Silly Billy, the Little Miss Dolls and Burnsfield. I already did this, you thought, and before there was nothing, but this time you could hardly believe it. It was all there. 3.48 something something billion search results. There were images too, of the cartoons, the toys, and Master Chansey himself. And pictures of Chansey's toy emporium, comparison photos between then and now, in its prime and now years after its abandonment. There were memories where there were none before, of the time you went on the ghost train. Of the man who said you were too short for the ride, of your mum and dad and you perusing the gift shop. Of your school teacher reading one of the Chansey and friends books during story time. You went to YouTube and repeated the process. You found retro toy channels with Chansey's toys still in the original packaging. There were the old commercials, even the one of Werewolf, with the children sticking pretend pennies into its mouth, and the advert was just how you remembered it to be. The one you'd remembered even before it was here, before it was real. There were videos of the Little Miss doll range, and of Touchy Feely, and of Chansey. He didn't speak much, not in the interviews, not in the videos but he smiled an awful lot, and his eyes were always just out of view, covered by the brim of his hat or that crispy silver hair. This didn't exist, he thought. None of it did, and yet now it was here, now it was real. Had you gone to wherever this was real, or had it come to you? Had Chansey and a tree come to you? You remembered the first audio file in which May received a message from a user on Reddit called Oak55. A quick search and you found them. No profile picture, no social media links, no about me. Just the name, Oak55. Your fingers went to the keys and even though every single cell in your body screamed for you not to, you typed a message to them. Who are you? He said, and hit enter. For a moment, there was nothing. Then a glitch on your screen, a sudden jerk of lines, and then they'd responded with an image. Your chest tightened when you saw it. It was the set, the tabletop covered in the white sheet, with the plastic trees in the workshop, and all the little plasticine characters. There was a giant camera next to it, and various lights positioned all around. It was the studio where they recorded the Chansey and Friends TV show, the ones that only a day before you thought you'd imagined. But it looked correct. Everything just how it appeared in your school theatre. Another message appeared and your stomach dropped. Consider this a formal invitation, it said. You closed the laptop. You called your friend the ever-present Daniel, but Daniel didn't answer. You showered, changed again. You ate food, checking for mold before each bite. You could still smell the burning, the stroke that you may or may not have had. You cleaned up the kitchen, wiped the sides. You swept and mopped. 
you did laundry. You did everything, anything you could to forget to make it like it didn't exist. The invitation, the factory, Chansey, the tree. You consciously ignored it, tried to will it out of existence and yet you couldn't. Eventually, you opened the laptop lid once more and you looked upon those audio files and wanted more than anything for there to be one more, a new file in which May escaped, but there was nothing. You'd heard as Chansey and the toys went to her, and you'd seen in your mind as she was fed to the tree. But you still weren't sure. You still needed to know. So you put on a hoodie, a woolly hat, and a second pair of socks. The sun was out, but it was a cold, full morning. You grabbed your rucksack, just as May did on that first audio file, loaded it up with supplies. A torch, yours was a wind-up one and you went into the loft to grab your old cricket mat. You threw it all into the back seat of your car, then climbed inside and paired your phone to the stereo. And as you set the car into gear and started driving, you went to the Reddit page once more and listened through all of the audio files again. You drove, you listened. You stopped to fill up the car with petrol. You didn't just fill up the car though, you bought and filled up a jerry can too. After all, Google Maps said it was going to be a long drive to Burnsfield the town that wasn't there yesterday. You drove for six hours across seemingly never-ending motorways and country roads, passed by service stations and through small towns of which you recognised very little. You drove, you listened. You pictured May being taken by Chansey, pushed towards those hungry roots, that widening hole, and you heard as it pulled her, snapped her bones, and broke her skin. And ate her. You drove, you listened, you passed a sign that said, Welcome to Burnsfield. The steering wheel squeaked in your grip. You drove and you listened, you drove and you hummed the melody. By the time you arrived at the factory, the sun was only a few fingers from the horizon. The cold made your eyes hurt and your breath sting. You coughed some as you pulled up outside the entrance and left your car parked across two spaces. It looked dead, you thought. Just a load of old bricks and glass and metal and reminders. Small pieces of rides and signage and flyers poking through the rubble. You grabbed your supplies and went to the wrought iron gates. They were not locked. Even the large double doors leading you inside were not locked. The turnstiles welcomed you. The darkness let you in like it was expecting you. The air reminded you of that dead badger you found rotting by the side of the road when you were 11. You saw the TV that May first saw, the one above the entrance, the one surrounded by welcome signs. It was not switched on, looked like it hadn't been touched for decades. You gave your torch a wind up and stepped into the next room, the room where May found the body, but there was no body, no hint of anything decomposing on the floor. However, there was Silly Billy, the life-sized one, stood exactly where May had described him. He was waiting, hand in the air as if to say hello. His ridiculous smile cracked when you struck him with the cricket bat. You half expected him to move as you repeatedly slammed your bat down onto his head. His arms fractured and splintered. You worked up a sweat as you reduced him to bits and rubble, just like the rest of the factory. A piece of wood and glass looked up at you, a corner of Silly Billy's face like you, it didn't blink. You mopped the sweat from your head and moved towards the blue door, towards the ball pit kingdom. 
footsteps echoing loudly, you stepped through a large hallway, and a part of you felt like you were trespassing. Another part of you couldn't give a shit. You walked onwards, stopped when you saw the TV, maybe the one where May had seen touchy-feely for the first time. He wasn't here now though, and you saw the power cable hanging loose out of the back of the TV. Retracing May's steps, you walked through the next set of doors and into the old workshop forest. There were the half-made toys and glass display cases, demonstrating all the effort that goes into the making of a toy, leaving out the bloodiest parts. You entered the fake workshop forest and raised your bat as you trailed your torchlight across the walls and surfaces. You searched for a face. For a while there was nothing, but then you remembered the advert, the words. Are you hungry? You said. There, on the far wall, eyes opened and a mouth smiled. It looked happy to see you, like a family dog seeing its owner return after months away. It went to speak, but you brought the bat down on its face so hard it caved inwards. It tried to tell you that it loved you as it backed away, but you brought the bat down again, again. Kept going until the cabinet on the back opened and out came tumbling things that were not pennies. Fizzy, meaty things that smelled so bad you had to turn away, covered your mouth from the inside of your elbow. Werewolf tumbled to his side, his wheels rolled aimlessly. You wound up your torch some more. You dropped to your knees, found both the vent and the blood, the dried dirt brown splashes of it disappearing inside. On hands and knees you followed it, dragging along your supplies behind you. Once through you stood, listened intently for any sounds of moving feet or laughing dolls or groaning walls. Anything at all. But all you could hear were the susurrations of your own breaking body, your churning stomach and grating lungs. You walked. You hummed the melody. You walked some more, kept going until you found another TV. You found the dollhouse, but it was empty. Again, it looked like it hadn't been touched in years. Decades, even. There was a camera inside. It was dead. Eventually, you came across the ghost train ride, and you walked its dark corridors and found a curtain to step behind, which led you to a staff-only door. It was open, and it took you from the amusement park to the real factory, to the production lines, full of the abandoned and the unfinished toys. You half imagined the belts moving in reverse, the toys starting fully formed before mechanical arms ripped their clothes from them, then their skin, their eyes, as they were deconstructed by uncaring hands. You continued to walk, to explore, and you kept going until you heard the melody. Somebody somewhere was idly whistling it. Whether or not it was supposed to, it led you towards the courtyard, stealing yourself. Raising your bat, you stepped into it and saw them. The toys covered the floor like a carpet, but they didn't appear to be any more alive than any other toy in the world. They were dirty, looked like they'd been poured from buckets and bags and left to rot. Then you saw the tree. Yes, it was strange. Yes, it had a face of knotted roots, branches and twisted bark. And yes, as you walked towards it, you felt something, a hum, an energy, invisible music. You put your hand to it and for a moment felt as if its white noise was crawling under your skin. But the whistling, 
it pulled your focus from the tree to the workshop. The workshop. Chansey's workshop. Inside, he was there, sat hunched over his bench, head hanging low as if too heavy for his neck. Grey and purple suit as papery thin as his skin, like it might tear away in a slight breeze. He looked like an antique. He didn't move as you entered, looked almost as unalive as the toys. He smelled like compost, dirt and shit and piss. Hello, he said, raising your bat. He didn't speak. In fact, the only reason you knew he was alive was because of the long and slow exhale. Sounded like a breeze passing through the gaps beneath the door. Can you hear me? You said. Now, finally, he stirred, lamely turning his head towards you. He blinked his custard yellow eyes long and slow. Where is she? You said. He blinked again. You could almost hear his thoughts moving around his head like tree sap. Where is the girl? May. Where the fuck is May? Another exhale. And then you saw it, the realisation. Oh, his eyes seemed to say, the girl. He lifted his knobbled finger that looked like an autumn branch and pointed to the tree outside. You swung the bat as hard as you could and you barely felt the resistance as Chansey's hat flew across the bench, as the honey-thick blood clung to the already filthy window. Somehow though, he was still alive, still juddering, lifting his half-crushed head to look at you, one eye blinking, the other slipping out, landing on the dirty wooden floor and rolling beneath the bench. Almost casually, the broken man pointed to the tree again. Anger flared and this time he brought the bat down on his crooked hand, then his arm. It felt like attacking rotting twigs wrapped in wet blankets and you threw the bat on the bench. You wanted to feel his head in your hands, his sallow skin tear as you squeezed, sunk your thumbs into his temples. Bubbles of tarry fluid seethed from his mouth and sneezed from his nose. He moaned and shook as you felt something inside his head give. His own mind fear to crumpling as if made from origami and bird bones. With his yellow-brown fluids on your hands, you stepped out of the workshop and entered a tree. To the face. You wondered why it wasn't attacking you, but thought maybe the transition from wherever it was before to here had been just as damaging to the tree as it had to you. Maybe it needed some time to heal. Time that you wouldn't give it. You picked up the jerry can, the one you dragged behind you every step of the way, and doused the toys littering the floor, the roots, the workshop, and then the face and the tree the face of the green man, Viridios. You lit the match, stared the god in the face as you threw it to the ground. The flames were slow to catch, but they did, starting at the roots and then climbing the trunk, then the branches. The roots shivered, TVs that littered the grounds flickered, flashes of white noise lit up the faces of the now floundering toys. The flames climbed higher, Something shook at the end of the largest branch. It was red and bulbous like the back end of a fat tick, greedy and fit to burst. Fruit, you thought, a cherry, 
but overwrite, swinging from the branch you imagine the Thacker brother fell from. And like the Thacker brother, the thing, about the size of a beach ball, broke free and splattered against the floor. Heat and smoke and the pain cries of more and more toys licked at your back as you dropped to your knees and sunk your hands into the surprisingly meaty flesh. Pulled away gossamer films and inner skin, not caring about the sticky and caustic red juices covering your hands and arms. You tore open an inner sack and white goo spilled, and in the porridge mess there was a pit, or a seed, or something, and you yanked it out like you were tearing a heart from a still beating body, ripping it from its connecting veins and arteries. It lay heavy in your hand. You already knew what it was. You clutched it to your chest as the roots and the fire smoked and twisted into themselves. A gaping hole opened in the tree's middle, impossibly dark, and the air around it warbled like gas spilling through a broken pipe. The trunk arching back and the flames now crawling up to its highest reaching branches, the face of the green man trapped in a silent scream. The toys on the floor were mimicking it, writhing and burning. Even the ones that were not aflame burned as if they were. You thought you'd killed Chansey, but the mess of gore somehow stood up and watched you from the workshop window, flames burning away what was left of his silver hair. TVs sparked and blew. You left the bat and the can and you took only the seed and you ran to the exit. As you left the courtyard, a lump of burning blue fur dropped from above and bubbled on the floor. Its long arms and legs already burned away, a mouth opened and closed before melting shut. Its ears twitched. It was touchy-feely, or it used to be. You ran around it, entered the factory corridors. Ahead you saw a small crying girl and it was stumbling, grabbing at its plastic skin as if trying to tear it away. You'd always wondered, in those Chucky films, always wondered why they never just kicked the evil toy as hard as they could. You took a run up. When you booted it, the doll smashed against the wall and even in pieces she whined. The same with the half-made toys on the conveyor belt and the museum pieces in the old workshop forest, banging their hands against their glass enclosures. The bits of silly billy you'd left on the floor squirmed and the eye followed you as you left the building, the flames and the chorus of crying toys not far behind. Outside, still clutching the seed, you turned and saw the swells of orange building somewhere deep in the factory, the smoke disappearing in waves into the night sky, into the stars that looked unfamiliar, brighter and stranger than ever. You didn't notice it before, the face on the rubble, but its movement drew your eyes to it. It was the grandpa character. It exhaled raspy breaths as some other part of it burned. You saw desperation in its eyes, a deep well of sadness. Maybe from the person that it used to be, its former life flashing before its eyes. You left it and the entire factory to burn, and as you drove away you saw the towering yellow flames dancing in your rear view mirror. You drove home. You listened only to the hum of the engine. By the time you got home the night was all used up and so were you. Your muscles felt ready to slough off the bone and each step up the stairs felt like it was deflating your calf and thigh muscles. You were exhausted, but you couldn't sleep. Not yet. I saved you.
he said, before taking a marker pen and drawing eyes and a mouth on the front of the seed. I saved you, he said again. You lifted the seed to your ear and you heard the sweet beating of her heart. And you told her over and over that you saved her, that you got her away from the factory in Burnsfield, or Bernie as you called it. I saved you. You kissed the seed on the forehead and placed it next to your computer. I'll keep you safe, you said. You then turned off the light, closed the door, and locked it shut. We hope you enjoyed your trip to the toy factory today. This audio experience was pieced together by the Hawking Cleaver Story Studio and its wider community, which includes a splattering of writers, a screaming of narrators, some maniacal musicians, eldritch art makers, scalpel-wielding quality control specialists, and a pair of demonic community admins, all of whom live in an abandoned office block which was somehow transported to a hell dimension after someone got a Hellraiser puzzle box for their last secret center. If you're enjoying The Toy Factory, please note that you can get an extra episode by becoming a patron or subscribing to the other stories with an Apple Podcast Premium subscription. To find out more and to join our Discord community, head on over to www.patreon.com forward slash Cleaver. There you'll get to chat with the Hawking Cleaver team and also help support us for more Halloween specials for years to come. On top of all that, limited Toy Factory merch will be available over at www.theotherstories.net forward slash The Toy Factory. The Toy Factory was conceived by Luke Condor and written by Luke Condor and Daniel Wilcox. For more of Luke's work, head to lukecondor.com and for more of Daniel's work, head to danielwilcox.com. The audio was stitched, massaged and digitally distorted by the audio wizard himself, Carl Hughes. Follow Carl at twitter.com forward slash Carl Hughes. Georgia Cook plays the role of May. For more, head to georgiacookwriter.com. Justin Fife plays the role of Master Chansey. He can be found at twitter.com forward slash Justin B. Fife. Josh Curran and Manny Realguy play the Thacker Brothers. Follow Josh on twitter.com forward slash jcurranwriter. Manny Realguy, however, cannot be followed by any conventional means. But speaking of unconventional, Manny Realguy also performs the role of Oak 55. The listener's background music was created by Birds of Paradise. Check them out at facebook.com forward slash Birds of Paradise MTL. Some of the factory music was created by Clankbeald. Check them out at freesound.org slash people slash clankbeald. Other various effects such as take noise, distortion and many more provided by the great community over at freesound.org. We'd also like to thank the Hawking Cleaver community members who forced, I mean politely, asked their children to lend their voices to the toys including Jimmy Johnson, Sonny Real Guy and others. The graphics were handled by our master of social media toy making, Ben Errington. Follow him at twitter.com forward slash Ben underscore Errington. This year's chilling cover artwork was created by the one and only Matt Seth Barnes. Find more of Matt's work at mattsethbarnes.com. Hey, 
Did you know that Halloween specials have been a tradition for the Hawk and Cleaver team for several years now? Well, if you need more Halloween audio treats in your life now or in the future, then don't worry, dear listener, because we have you covered. Simply search for The Nest, The Halloween Horrors of Old Mill Lane, or The Witching Hour in your podcast application of choice. The Toy Factory is a production of the story studio Hawk and Cleaver and is brought to you with a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which of course means don't change it, don't sell it, but by all means, share the hell out of it. Until next time. Next time. Next time. Next time. Next time. Next time. Next time.